Welcome to the Healing Grove Podcast. I'm Dr. Kristen Ryman, an integrative holistic family physician, author of Life After Lyme, and host in this virtual space of learning, healing, and growing. I believe humans are like trees, and our physical limb is only one of many. Health on all limbs of the tree, emotional, conceptual, social, spiritual, is absolutely required for the whole tree that is you to be vibrantly well. I created the Healing Grove podcast as a place to showcase some of the world's best integrative and holistic medicine, to expose you to transformative tools and mindset shifts for all limbs of your tree. I hope you enjoy our conversation in the Healing Grove today as much as I enjoyed having it. Hi, Mira. How are you today? I'm great, Kristen. I'm so excited to be here with you. Oh, me too. I always love talking with you. Before we do that, I want to introduce you to our audience. So everybody, this is my dear friend, Mira Rubin, transformational coach, visionary, and best-selling author. Mira is host to multiple podcasts, Sustainability Now, The Core Connection, and co-host to The Broader Edge. She's also the originator of The Core Connection Process, which is a unique synthesis and evolution of multiple modalities, including NLP, hypnosis, and applied kinesiology. The core connection work precipitates often miraculous shifts in being that result in expansive new opportunities and accomplishment and expanded experience of freedom and empowered stewardship for life. And I personally can speak to the power and depth of this work, having worked with Mira extensively over the past year. Mira is passionate about connecting people to their core mission and purpose. And her own mission is to use her voice and her multiple projects to mainstream sustainable practices globally. The Sustainability Now podcast shares hope and sustainability tools and practices related to food, energy, housing, waste, health, economics, water, and consciousness, with consciousness being key. You can find that podcast at sustainabilitynow.global. The Broader Edge and Core Connection video podcasts air live on the YouTube and Facebook channels of Enlightened World Network. Both address timely and timeless issues related to life, meaning, and being from a vantage point of expanded consciousness. So Mira, I'm just so grateful that you're here today. Thank you again for agreeing to speak to this audience. This is such a treat. I'm, I'm really excited. Yay, me too. So I want to jump right in, but before we get into some of the tools and practices and mindset shifts that I think you're going to be able to share with us today, I would love for you to share some of your own healing journey with this group. It's been lifelong because I had asthma as a kid and uh, I actually had my first bout with alopecia when I was about 12. Uh, I got migraines, and, and then um, I grew up in a very dysfunctional household, and I, I ended up with these spots, bald spots, like the size of a quarter or so on my head, and um, I also, I had really long hair. I had this incredibly long, almost Asian kind of beautiful black hair. And um, I'd have these spots and we went to the doctor and the doctor said at that time it was called alopecia nervosa and it was common where bombs were being dropped. Wow. And <laughs> yeah. And so they grew back and they grew back. And then I had um, irritable bowel and um, lifelong depression uh, didn't know about the gut health things that you teach and, and that I have learned about since. Um, and then uh, I had, let's see, I, um, I think I, I had Lyme at one point and then chronic fatigue and, and you know, just the gamut. So you and basically that, collected all the medically complex, mysterious illnesses. You were like a collector. <laughs> yes, I never thought of it that way, but yes. <laughs> yes, actually, this is really freaky too. Um, and I just, I just spoke this to somebody else recently for the first time in years and years. Uh, at one point, I knew people who had developed a saliva test for HIV 
And um, so I tried it. You know, they were like, oh, you know, this is so cool. And I, I took the test and it was positive. And I freaked and I told them that. And they said, well, it's, you know, it's 99% accurate. And I took it again and it was positive again. Why? And I, I was, I was freaked out because it turned out that a partner that I had had um, years prior to that had died of AIDS. And um, there was a clinic, there was a free clinic. And I went to the clinic and I had a more advanced test. The people that developed the saliva test told me that there was a more advanced test that I could take. And I did, and it came back negative. Wow. So, yeah, like serious, serious, freaky upset. Yeah, that was massive. I mean, you can imagine the stress around that, right? No, I mean, I can't even imagine it. It just seems uh, unbelievable, especially to have two in a row and have them sort of stand behind the validity of the test and the... Uh, yeah, and I had to wait 10 days for the result. Crazy, just crazy. So anyway, and then um, in about, I guess it was about 2002, I had massive, massive stress event. And I was sitting at, the, life was crumbling around me in all so many ways, like big, big things. And I was sitting at my dining room table and there was a moment where I just sort of felt a switch flip. And that's when my hair started falling out. And wait, uh, wait, wait, go back, go back. I want to hear more about the switch flipping. Did, was that like a, a consciousness thing? Was it a physical switch? What did you, I, what I you felt it in my body and, and the way I contextualized it was that it was either have a nervous breakdown or in this case, my immune system just said, okay, we're done. <laughs> you know, the hair, nah, not so much. And so hair started falling out and big patches so that I couldn't cover. I, for a while, I was able to cover it with the hair that I still had. And then I could, I mean, if the wind blew wrong, there was this big bald patch. And finally, I just said, I, I couldn't stand watching the hair fill the sink. You know, it's like daily hair filling the sink. And finally, I shaved my head and I thought, okay, well, I'll be bold and cool and I'll go to the gym with my naked head and a couple people came up to me and told me they were praying for, they would pray for me because they thought you had cancer or something and were getting chemo probably at which point I was like mm, no I don't want that I don't want that energy I don't want that pity I don't want that look in people's eyes I'm not doing that so I started wearing a wig and I wore a wig for 13 years. Wow. And so you were how old at this point when you started wearing a wig? And now I have to do the subtraction. Um, well, let's see. So it's, it's been about um, two and a half, almost three years maybe, that I have not been wearing a wig. So um, I guess I was... I'm not able to do math right now in my head. That's all right. You were told there'd be no math during the podcast. So I'm not, I'm going to just leave it at that. We're going to say it was in you your- You promise, Kristen. You <laughs> this promise. Was, this was roughly like in your 20s and your 30s. And your no, 40s. no, no. This was, this was, this was 15 years ago. Okay. Is when I started wearing the wigs. 15 or 16 years ago. Yeah. And so before we go further in the story, I'm really curious to know, because I know you now, I didn't know you 20, 15 years ago. And I want to know, what was your, what was the way in which you were understanding this hair loss? Of course, doctors would be saying you have an autoimmune process, your immune cells are, you know, mistaking your hair follicles for foreign tissue, and they're attacking it, and you're creating inflammation and losing your hair, and yep. it's probably genetic, and there's nothing really to do about it except steroids. So, Well, they didn't actually say it was genetic. I don't really have people in my family that have had this predicament. Okay. Uh, or condition. Um, they did say that they wanted to treat it with steroids. I did actually try a couple things. I had injections into my head at one point, 
and I got like one or two spindly long white hairs that were really coarse. And I was like, first of all, that's painful. Second of all, this is gross. Third of all, I don't like steroids. I'm done. Although you might've ended up as a unicorn. <laughs> it's possible. I think here I am. I'm channeling my inner alien here. You know. <laughs> so what was your conceptualization, conceptualization of why you were losing your hair at this time in your life? Stress. Mm -hmm. Stress. And I was under extreme stress and I was extremely depressed. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there were, um, there was a time which, uh, let's see, prior to all of this, um, I'm trying to do the math, but when, right around when I was 40, I actually found myself, I decided to commit suicide. And I had the place figured out, you know, I decided where I was going to go. Now, most of my life prior to that, I w thought about suicide all the time. I'd wake up and go to bed. S sometimes there, I remember there was a time when I, at night, I knew I was going to die because nobody could live and be that sad. Wow. Yeah. It was just, and I, and so for sure, I was diagnosably clinically depressed. I even did once go and get um, a prescription filled for medication, which I never took. Wow. So um, when I were jumping back and forth through time, like 10, 15 years or more um but when in 2002 is when this whole stress thing started in it, the the switch and i and i really did feel it i really did feel something in my body switch mm. yeah it was wild how did you feel about that switch and did you know what it meant um, well, when my hair started falling out, I did, you know, and, and the way that I conceptualized it to go back to your question was to think, well, it was either that or nervous breakdown, you know, cause I, my, I was carrying so much energy in my body, so much upset, you know, um, terror. I, I had, um, a previous employer was a psycho who was trying to ruin me, declared that he was trying to ruin me. I had started a new business. Uh, but he declared he was trying to ruin me because I started a company, that a training company, and he had a training company. And he said that I was violating my non-compete, which I didn't, but he was suing me and trying to bankrupt me and did bankrupt me, actually. Without being victim, I ended up being bankrupt as a result of all of this. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he was pursuing me all over. My attorneys were telling me I shouldn't be promoting my business. I didn't have, you know, I was trying to make a living. I was trying to do things that were, um, that were not competing with my previous employer. It didn't matter. And at the same time, I had somebody else that had uh, was attempting to abscond with my life savings from my IRA. <laughs> you know, it was like so. Well, there was that on the side. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, you know, it's interesting how creative we can be in creating our worlds. You know, and so. I play for high drama. <laughs> you know, I used to. It's like, hey, if you're going to go, go big or go home, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I really did it in a grand scale. I can relate to that. Although I'm aware that some people listening might be a little confused by that statement. Um, so tell us a little bit more about your philosophy of, of whether we are victims of life and circumstance or 
how yeah. we're creating things. So I had an enlightenment experience when I was 15 and it shaped my whole life. I, I spoke with somebody the other, the other day and I said, it, it gave me my life and it ruined my life both, <laughs> you know, because from that moment on, it was like, that was the most real and true thing I ever experienced ever. And still to this day, it is the most real and true thing that I experienced as reality with a capital R. And the rest of this, you know, I tend to think this is a really elaborate illusion. And it's also very much my projection, my beliefs, the way that I see things filters my experience radically. So from that moment, I spent my life trying to find access to that experience again. And in the process to understand and to grow and to evolve and knowing, you know, I came, as I said, from a really dysfunctional, not awake family at all. So I spent my, my life really pursuing personal transformation and growth. And I, I, of the things I know, I know that we shape our own experience by the way that we think and that we can shape the way that we think. And transforming my, my perspective from the experience of being a victim to the experience of being the orchestrator of my life, whether on a conscious or other than conscious level, because there were times in my life with, where if somebody told me I created it, I would have probably done bodily damage to them. <laughs> you know, it's like, why? If I'm creating this, why in the world would I do this to myself? Right. And there would be some expletives there as well, I'm thinking. Uh, absolutely. I'm being really polite. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and were those moments in time or do you feel like there's been sort of a, a, a slow trajectory of your, your own evolving consciousness and embracing of those ideas? Well, when people first told me I was responsible for my own experience, I took it as blame, like they were blaming me. Like I've had practitioners doing work with me telling me, well, you just don't want to heal. And it's like, wait a second, <laughs> you know, that's, it. you know, it's like get in line with the program they're telling me. And it's just, Hey, you know what, if I knew how I would, you know, if I, if I knew how to feel better, cause I really don't want to feel this way. But what I've, what I've learned over time for me is um, the paths to healing physically, emotionally, spiritually is in taking ownership, first of all, because that's the only way I have a power to make a difference is if I say, okay, first of all, life isn't happening to me. It's happening for me and through me. So I, uh, my belief is that I've chosen this. My, my soul has chosen this life and all its expressions and all its opportunities and all its hardships. And I get to learn and grow and elevate and, and evolve through all these things that I presented myself with. And the biggest, I, I quoted this the other day too, because I remembered it from a long time ago. I had the opportunity at Lehigh University. The Dalai Lama was there for a week and I was there and I was- I was there too. Really? How yes. cool is that? Oh my God. I was volunteering. It was, it, it was awesome. It was an awesome experience. And the, 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 the main, the one thing that, I took with me is that all suffering is the result of misconceptualization. So it's stinking thinking <laughs> is what makes us suffer. <laughs> and, and so I've, you know, I've been trained in NLP and hypnosis and all kinds of other modalities. 
And it's all about the, the world that we create internally and project outward and, and what we receive from the outward in. And it's all through filters. And, and we do have the ability to modify those filters. So moving from the perspective of victim to the perspective of orchestrator, then I get to have more choice. And I get to choose how I interpret things. So one of my choices about how to interpret things is there's a gift in everything. And to be looking for the gift transforms the experience of the experience. Yeah. Yeah, that's my experience too. Um, But I think knowing that it's a choice doesn't necessarily mean that you're suddenly able to make a choice right. in my experience. Right. And I, have a lot, I work with a lot of people who aren't, you know, when they really are faced with that decision about, you know, do I want to live or do I want to die? Do I want to get well or do I want to suffer? They're sort of like, oh, um, number one, I hadn't really thought about that yet. And number two, I'm not, I'm not sure yet. What's yeah. been your experience with that? Well, when I realized that I finally had, had decided to commit suicide, there was a part of me that was just sort of up here saying, whoa, girl, uh, we got to get you some help. So it was a part of me that said, I'm going to live. Now, I have to say that because I believe that this isn't really what it looks like, because I really in my bones believe that this, that there's a whole lot more going on than we have any idea not that I know what that is, but I know there's more. Um, there was a part of me that was afraid to commit suicide because I figured I didn't get out. Like that was not a, an exit ticket. And um, that kept me here for a long, long time too. It's just fear of not death, but that maybe it wasn't death. <laughs> maybe it wasn't the end. That's what kept me here. It's like, I don't know if I want to pay that price. And I don't know if, if that's true or not true. I know there's more going on here than we understand or see, but I don't know about, um, I certainly understand why people commit suicide because I know that depth of that pain and that agony. And I have known a lot of people who have committed suicide and I, I do believe that, um, well, first of all, it is a permanent choice to potentially a temporary solution, uh, situation, a permanent solution to a temporary situation. Um, and even though it doesn't feel like it's a temporary situation. So there are ways beyond that potentially. However, I, I, I know how deep the suffering can be. And I, we, we give suffering animals a way out. You know, we assist them to transition. I don't know that I consider that it's a moral uh, problem, you know, I, but so I have a lot of compassion for people that are suffering that deeply. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think we get to choose life daily, you know? Um, and one of the things that I notice about suffering and pain is that experience, how we define it helps to shape the experience of it. So for instance, when I'm, feeling pain like let's i'll give an example i twisted my ankle pretty badly at one point i was on a walk twisted my ankle really badly and this is really kind of foundation of the core connection technique in a way is being present to what's there without judgment without trying to change it just to be fully present to it and when i allowed myself i sat for probably 40 minutes with my ankle feeling what the sensation was without calling it pain feeling it as sensation really 
allowing myself to sink deeply into whatever was there and it would move and there would be moments where it was excruciating and then it would move and then it would shift and I healed my ankle and I was able to walk home on it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the things for me in my practice currently is recognizing resistance that I have and releasing that resistance. And for someone who is curious about this and is wondering how they do it, can they do it at home safely? Is there a pattern to what resistance looks like and how it shows up so that people can start to kind of flex this muscle of self-awareness? That's a great question. Resistance exists on all levels. We might say that any of our beliefs and our identities are resistance to what is, you know, to just the flow of life. But as we start, as we interpret things, you know, all of that could be resistance. But let's start on a much more basic level first, because that's like a transcendental level of resistance. So that's where I'm, I'm moving toward in terms of where I want to be playing ultimately is to just allow me to be a free-flowing vehicle for life expressing itself but in the meantime <laughs> resistance is like when when i get upset when i get angry about something there's something i'm resisting there's something i'm resisting so um because especially if I'm having conversation about it, if I'm feeling the anger and I don't have a whole lot of story about it and justification and, and, um, and rationalization, if I'm just feeling the feeling that's without resistance, the story about it is building up this dynamic that is actually helping to potentially amplify that story or amplify that experience, embed that experience. And it's because I'm resisting just having the feeling. So oftentimes if we feel grief or sadness or upset, we deny it. We push it away. Mm -hmm. And as we deny and push things away, what we do is we make those things more deeply entrenched. We embed them, we cement them because we're resisting them. So it, is really or and as we're resisting them we're pushing them down we're making pushing them down deeper and so like denial is a form of resistance well i think to expand upon that then it seems like a lot of the ways that people use commonly to numb themselves might be clues so you know the need to be on Facebook all day or the need to stay up late watching, you know, the news or movies or the need to self-medicate with alcohol or drugs or food or shopping, you know, all those things I would put into the category of numbing behaviors that help us not look at our stuff down feelings. Would you yeah. agree with that? Yeah. And, and I will say also that there are, some advantages to those numbing behaviors because sometimes we just need to stop the input for a little bit. So, you know, I'm not advocating addiction <laughs> or anything like that, but sometimes it's just too much and we need to be able to just stop. And then it, in the space that we might be able to create if we're aware Awareness is really the bottom line, and it does come down to mindfulness, where we allow ourselves to be present to what's there. And the emotion, like if there's an emotion of rage, oftentimes underneath that rage, there's deep sadness. You know, so as you allow yourself to feel into your body without the stories. So, you know, people say, how are you feeling today? I'm sad. Why are you sad? Oh, okay, good. That gives me license to make up this whole story about why I'm sad or to say all these things that, that allow me to, to perpetuate the, the circumstance that's maybe generating those feelings rather than actually experiencing the feelings. 
Okay, so this is super eye-opening for me because just this week I've been dealing with a nine-year-old who has been sad, angry, frustrated, um, guilty, and I have been guilty of asking him, well, tell me why, why are you feeling those things? And he's like, I don't know, I'm just feeling them. And now I feel sad and guilty for having said that, but what are the, what are the alternatives that we can use as parents, as friends, as doctors, as healers for one another and ourselves to allow someone the space to sit with their emotions without having to tell a story about it? So the, okay, that's great. I'm excited to share this too. So emotions are energy. Right. So if if your nine year old is feeling sad, I would say, where do you feel sad in your body? Feel that feeling of sad. If it had an appearance, what would sad look like? And what's happening as you're being with that sadness? How is it changing? You know, what does it feel like? And and is it getting stronger or is it getting less you feel guilty is guilty in the same place as sad or is it somewhere else is it going on at the same time where is it what's it look like what's it feel like you know if it were talking to you did it does it have something to say these are all nlp techniques and what the the thing is that it allows us to be present with the experience without judging it necessarily. Because we'll say, hey, why am I sad about that? I have no business being sad about that. Other people have it way worse than I, that I do. Why should, it, you know, like this whole thing where we're, where we're denying our energetic life force. You know, there's, there's a congestion of energy that is feeling like sad. So it's almost like um, the telling of a story about it or the creating of a reason for the sadness could be another way of shoving that under the carpet because we're not giving it its full expression. It can be. And, and there are circumstances like I see a, a dead animal in the road. I get sad. Why do I get sad? Well, I have a story. I do have a story about um, that animal had a life that you know it had an innocent life and it was taken by somebody's carelessness or by just chance and death is scary and sad so i have all these stories that are helping to feed those emotions right and so what i want to do is i just want to go to the emotion and find where that sadness is and breathe into it and breathe through it and feel it. And the miraculous and kind of counterintuitive thing that happens is that it moves. Yeah, it is kind of miraculous and it's counterintuitive. And I remember when I was first planning for my first birth at age 30, and I really wanted to have an unmedicated natural vaginal birth. Um, and I, I didn't know what to expect. And I interviewed everyone I knew who'd been through childbirth and said, what is this like? You know, tell me about it. Tell me about the pain. And um, one person who was very helpful said to me, well, you know how as an athlete, you remember pushing through that really terrible pain and knowing when it was going to damage you. There was a space of like, this is just hard and I'm just breaking down my muscles and I'll be able to recover. And then there was like a, a, a threshold. And when you reached that threshold, you knew beyond that you were damaged. Well, you're going to get beyond that point, but you won't actually be damaged. Wow. Brilliant. Yeah. That blew That's my mind. Brilliant. And it was so helpful because indeed you do get beyond that point of like, oh my God, I can't like, I'm passing a bowling ball through a, a space that I can't imagine getting. Yeah, I have far. a needle. <laughs> and I will, I will be torn asunder. But that reminder of like, and I will heal. Like I, this is how it's supposed to be, even though it feels beyond what seems okay. Yeah. And the other important advice I got was from a person who was, who gave me a book on hypnobirthing. And I said, well, what's this book about? She said, well, it's about learning to be fully present to the sensations of birth and yes. birthing. Yes. And everything in my mind, like short circuited, because I was like, Look, I've had, at that point I'd had, I'd had chronic back pain 
from an injury in my um, early college years and surgery and lots of, you know, kind of reiterations of that. And I was like, I'm sorry, from my own experience with pain, when I have pain in my body, I just need to leave the building. Like the last thing I want to do is go into that building, root around in the closet and find that actual pain and look at it. But it was the first time that that kind of concept had, had, you know, been elucidated for me. And it, it, I, I'll be honest, I didn't read that book. I was freaked out by it at the time. I went with the like push through like an athlete and it's going to tear you asunder and you'll recover moment. But later in my life have found um, so much benefit to what you're talking about, which is really just getting present with what is and trusting that the process of acknowledging it and bringing light to it is actually what transforms it. Yes, and and I love that you shared um, the idea that it's like when there's pain, I want to leave the room. That's what helps keep pain there. And it's completely counterintuitive. It's completely against everything that we learn. We learn tough it out and and get over it, you know, instead of actually be present to it. And that's how my ankle healed. Actually, I fell once. I hit my head on cement. I'm sure I gave myself a concussion. I had a big black eye. But I spent hours being present to the sensation of it. And then it looked awful, but it didn't hurt. You know, periodically I'd have a reminder of where I had hit my head. Like, I think I... I gave myself a concussion, mm-hmm. but it, I, I have found over and over and truly, I really had injured my ankle that time and I healed it and there was pain in there. There was some serious pain in there. I had a pain in my back one night. I woke up with it and it was excruciating. I spent the whole day being present to that pain in bed. And when I was done, it was gone. It was gone. But in the midst of that, there was a time where I had a revelation about something with my dad. I don't even remember what it was. And gales of tears, gales of tears. So there was emotion, that energy, emotion that was tied up in my back. And by allowing myself to be deeply, deeply, deeply present, ever deeper, the emotion arose that was connected to that energetically. It's all energy and it released it. So that's, an, that's my next question. And so let's say you're sitting in bed and you're being present to some part of you that feels hurt or broken and you're really trying to just acknowledge it and see it and notice it. Name, you know, see where it goes, see what color it is, see what it looks like. Um, an emotion comes up. So are you doing the same thing with the emotions? Are you feeling those emotions and really embodying them and, you know, crying them out or throwing, you know, throwing a plate across the wall? Maybe not that, you know, not something you care about. I just saw yourself throwing a plate across a wall. (laughs) You can. Yeah. So you're really just doing the same process. You're fully kind of embracing it and just looking it straight in the face. Yeah. And, and the truth is that there are going to be times when you don't have the time to do that right now. Yeah. So what do you do then? So you recognize that part of yourself and say, I hear you. I see you. I will be back. You know, let's, let's address this together. Mm -hmm. Whatever you're talking to. I don't know what it is you're talking to. Maybe it's your higher self. But so here's the thing. If life is not happening to me, but life is happening for me and through me, then what are these things telling me? Like so many times when somebody gets sick, it's because they need to slow down. Or, you know, if, if, I, if I injure my foot, it means maybe I'm, not, I'm moving too fast. Or maybe I wasn't going in the direction that, my heart calls for, or, you know, it's an opportunity. I choose, and this is life, life transforming. I choose to look for the opportunity in everything. And the other thing is that 
as we, because we do vibrate, we're energy, we're vibrating at some frequency or another. I remember in the depths of my depression, knowing that if I could change my state, I, I would be helping myself, you know, to shift, not to deny, but to change my state, like to raise my vibration. And I remember being in the in the shower just crying and singing like trying to sing to just move that energy to another place mm -hmm. so you know whatever it takes sometimes it might take beating a pillow the thing is that i mean cry it out till the crying is gone and don't make yourself wrong for crying you know, we make ourselves wrong. We put judgment on top of judgment, on top of repression, on top of, you know, and it gets to be a huge mess. It's where, just a, compost, a big compost pile where you don't have the right ingredients and nothing ever transforms. Right, right. Whereas, whereas your nine-year-old is like, I just feel this way. Well, so by actually feeling those feelings, they will probably move. But good on that kid to not be making stories, right? Because the stories are justifications. And it's like, well, I feel this way because my father didn't say, didn't get, didn't say happy birthday to me. And that means that he doesn't love me and I feel unloved and on and, you know, on and on instead of, you know, look at those stories and say, okay, what's there? What can I heal for myself? What can, how can I compassionately parent myself and find, okay, you know what? There's this wounded part. Okay, sweetheart, I want you to know that I'm here to love you no matter what. Mm -hmm. And then that gives you space to have the feelings and feel the feelings without making them the issue. You know, like have them while they're there and let them go as they move, <laughs> you know, yeah. let's, cause we're fluid. We're not always happy. That's the other thing is I realized that I wasn't always depressed, even though I'd say I'm depressed because I was depressed a lot. I, I made that the universal in my speaking. Yeah. It's like, I am depressed. That's like an identity. And if I am depressed, then I can't recognize that there are moments when I'm actually happy, or there are moments when I'm in awe of nature, or there are moments when, you know, I, I am outside myself and connected to another being, a human being, an animal, a, a plant, you know? Yeah, that's an important, important reminder. Because it's very easy for us, I think, for humans to, because we're such big brained, narrative based creatures, you know, we like to have a story that makes sense, that it's easy to fall into the kind of revisiting of that story so often that we start to be the story and forget that that story is just a chapter in our lives and may only be, a, you know, a few sentences in our day. But we're, we're so identified with it that we create more suffering for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Because, I mean, yeah, we, ca we can't not have moments that don't fit into our narrative. Like there are always, like, if I'm saying I'm depressed, there are going to be moments where I'm too busy putting my attention on something else to be depressed. It's just that I'm not going to, I don't notice that. Right. And so what we want to look at is how am I now? How am I now? How am I now? Because that's all there is, really, really. And yeah. certainly moving through depression and pain, how is it now? How is it now? You know, what's the sensation? Beautiful. You have so many wise tips and um, useful frames and reframes for us. I'm really grateful for your sharing of all that. Thank you. Thank you for this really awesome conversation. Yeah, I don't want it to end, but I'm really curious and I'm wondering if you would be willing to share what your 15-year-old self experienced that really helped frame this kind of 
life course for you? Yeah. Um, I was on the phone, like many 15 year olds. <laughs> and I, well, now people text, but we used to talk. <laughs> no, it's so weird, right? You right? actually put the thing on your face and you spoke into it. Yeah. And it wasn't digital. It was like this whole big thing. And I said, I know. And all of a sudden I was knowing it was beyond, it was beyond my identity, beyond any intellectual knowing it was beyond time, beyond space. It's one of these things that was inevitable, not inevitable, ineffable. In other words, undescribable because words do not replicate the experience. Words don't allow us to access this, this moment of beingness, it was beyond um, description. And it was just being, it was being everything, being unbounded. It's bringing up tears for me to say that. Me too, beautiful. It's so incredible to imagine. Yeah, but that's who we are. That's, that's the truth of what we are, you know, um, <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, that's, that's really our nature. We are spirit, spiritual beings, spirit, having a human experience. And these bodies are the vehicle through which we get to experience life. You know, we are so often at war with our bodies without the recognition that this is the, the interface through which we get to experience all of our experience. And in that way, it, it's beautiful whether it's agony or ecstasy or anything in between. And that's the miracle of life. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. Is there anything else that wants to be said? Like, for example, if somebody wanted to deepen their own practice of connecting to their to their core, to their mission, to their purpose, which is I know what your passion is to amplify your impact on the planet by helping others connect to their source and their purpose. How might they get in touch with you? What are some things they could do to work on these things? Well, I have to say that the thing that really made a difference for me moving out of depression that really gave me my life was finding my purpose and for me it was always what the heck am i doing here like i know i know that there's so much more from the time i was 15 i know that this isn't it what the heck am i doing here and i felt all i wanted to do was be in that experience and when i found so i see that we're playing a game here you know, it's like the 10 ticket ride. <laughs> um, so as we're playing the, this game, why not play the game that resonates with this particular vehicle for experiencing the world? And finding our soul's purpose is, is what anyway for me gave me life, vitality, um, clarity a vehicle for expression another another context to elevate my self to go beyond my limits to pick myself up to keep going and so finding purpose i think is the most important thing we can do whatever that is and um I I wrote a little ebook that is available for free on my website. It's called Your Inner Success Blueprint: Five Keys to Discovering What You Were Born to Do. It's got lots of pretty photographs in it. 
It's the only way I get my pictures published. <laughs> oh, you took all of them. You made I those. Did. I nice. did. Um, <laughs> so um, you can get it on my website at yourcoreconnection.com when you sign up for the email list. And um, I also have a digital business card that has all my contacts and stuff that you can get if you text my name, Mira, to, uh, I think it's 64600, um, and you'll get all my contact info. And um, one of the things as part of that ebook that's a really big deal is finding your values, like identifying your core values. And especially now, you know, the, with the world as crazy as it is, as it looks, uh, recognizing what is important to us <clears throat> individually is such a critical and important thing because it helps us sort out our decisions, sort out our priorities, make choices that are in alignment. When we're in alignment with ourselves and our core values and our, our, our soul's song, that's when life becomes more joyful and more fulfilling and rich. And uh, so there's, I have these uh, cards that I made. They're called core connection cards. And um, you, there's also in the back of the book, there's a list of values, but I just thought I'm, I'm tactile and I just like to be able to, um, touch things and move things around. I just pulled a card, interesting, prosperity, but all the, they're all, there's like 125 of them in there and, and they're all based on values and you can play with them and shuffle them around and use them all different ways. I know that you found unique ways to use them in your family, but it's to be able to, to, connect with your values and use that as your North star is really powerful and potent. Yeah. I can attest to that. It's been powerful working with you and getting connected to my own vision and mission and values. So thank you. I love you so much, Kristen. I love you too. <laughs> I'm reluctant to end, but I know it's our time. Anything else we forgot to say that you can think of? I can. I think we said it all. I think we said it all. Thank you, Mira Rubin. Thank you, Kristen Ryman. You are, you are magic. You too are magic. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Healing Grove podcast. If you liked it, please be sure to like and subscribe. And if you want to deepen your experience further, consider grabbing a copy of the Healing Grove playbook. With journal prompts for this podcast and 41 others, it's the perfect place to record your learnings, keep track of the tools you explore, and reflect on your own experience. Finally, it's important to mention that even though I am a doctor, nothing you hear on this podcast, whether from myself or my guests, constitutes medical advice. Any intervention you try should always be discussed with and supervised by a trusted member of your own healing team. Thanks for listening, and see you next time in the Healing Grove.